All right, so we are in our uh, sermon series on five types of spiritual leaders in Messiah's community. We've talked about apostles and prophets and evangelists. Today we're going to finish up with pastors and teachers. Those are the five-fold ascension offices that are designed to equip you, to equip us, to do the work of Messiah in our world today. So let's talk about pastors. Here's the definition. Pastors nurture and protect. They are the caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock, cultivating a loving and spiritual mature network of relationships, making and developing disciples. They create stability. That's what pastors do. Apostles get out. They, they're the startup crew. You know, apostles and prophets, they kind of do that startup phase. And once they bring people to faith and together in a community, they get that established with elders who appoint a pastor to lead that community. That pastor is going to raise up that community. Pastors are like parents that raise up kids, if you will. You know, the church is like an extended family being raised up in Messiah. So if we took the word pastor and put it in a different uh, sphere, a metaphor uh, of, let's say, livestock, you would call them shepherds, okay? Think of sheep. Sheep have shepherds. Pastors are often referred to as shepherds throughout the Tanakh and even the apostolic scriptures. So what do they do? Well, shepherds care for and raise up the flock that has been entrusted to them. They'll lead the flock out every day to pastures where the sheep can play and recreate and eat and enjoy themselves, right? And then they bring them back at night to make sure that they're protected and safe, that they have a shelter where they're protected from uh, predators. They also attend to the sheep when the sheep get injured. When the sheep are traumatized or injured, they're the ones that actually help the sheep uh, get healed up and strong again. They take care of and raise up sheep. That's what shepherds do. Now, if you put that back into the metaphor of a religious leader, what a shepherd does, a pastor does, is they care and raise up believers in their faith. They take new believers and they help those believers adjust and acclimate to the community and to be raised up by the community and released out into the field of God's work. That's what a pastor does. They teach and uh, equip the believer in the scriptures and the ways of God. They help them to figure out how to live in a wonderful but dangerous world. They provide a spiritual covering for them to help keep them safe from the schemes of the enemy. Just like Elder uh, Randy was saying, you know, the enemy is always seeking to devour. He's like a roaring lion pacing back and forth. You know, the enemy is like, like a lion in the wild, right? Watching the herd, moving back and forth, keeping an eye on the herd, looking for someone who gets alienated from the herd, someone who wanders from the pack. Yeah, that's lunchtime for the lion. 
And so the enemy's always looking to, to take us out, to injure us and, and confuse us. And the job, of course, of a shepherd is to keep that flock together, keep that flock safe from the schemes of the enemy. The leaders in this community, they're praying over you every day. We pray over your lives, over your businesses, over your welfare, over your peace. We're always praying for you. Our intercessors are praying for you. On our list in our intercession times, we take three families every week and focus on them as well. So our community is covered by the elders, the pastors, the staff on a regular basis. You may not realize the protection that that provides. Don't take it for granted. You were protected as a result of that. Communities are safe places for believers. So that's what pastors do. They typically are the ones who lead congregations. Apostles are startup people. They start and establish congregations. Pastors lead those congregations. Now, they're part of a fivefold ministry. So, so pastors are part of a team of four other key leaders who equip the body. So when pastors get out of balance, it usually, you know, what they do is they focus so much on the stability of the community, they tend to sabotage mission and vision. You know, they tend to say, no, 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 we can't do this, we can't do that, it's not safe, right? So, so pastors who get out of balance will sometimes jeopardize missions, outreach, because they're worried about the safety of the community getting out into the community and maybe getting, you know, beat up or whatever. So this sometimes can get out of line in, in, in regards to that. The other thing they can do too is if they're not in balance with other leaders, sometimes they can draw too much attention to themselves and try to get a gathering to follow them. And if they don't get their way, they kind of bolt and start a new work, you know, with the gathering that they pulled from that community. So that can be the abuse of that particular office. All right, let's look at the next office. It's the final office, teachers. Teachers, what are teachers? Teachers understand and explain. They teach. They're communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will, guiding others towards wisdom, helping the community remain faithful to Christ's word, and constructing a transferable doctrine to other cultures and people groups. This is what teachers do. A teacher typically teaches formally. They are the scholars that teach in our seminaries, that teach in our Bible colleges, right? They are the professors, if you will, teachers par excellence. Think of Tim Haig in the Messianic Jewish movement. He has done more to just help this community or this movement come together more than most. He's written so much on the subject. He has so many resources for people being introduced to the roots of our faith. Dr. Michael Brown, in all the books he's written, 60, 70 books, he's a scholar, excellent teacher. He, he's done so much to really... Uh, embolden our community and our faith in such a significant way. Dr. N.T. Wright, right? He is the C.S. Lewis of our era. He is He's written so much. It's, it's just amazing. In fact, had someone ask me the, the other day, uh, you have any good books to recommend about uh, 
recommend in terms of understanding Paul? It's like, man, that's a no-brainer. N.T. Wright, he is a new Pauline perspective teacher. He, he's part of a group of, of scholars who were saying, you know what, the Reformation was great. We learned so much. It was so beneficial, but you know, we're beyond that now. We're no longer looking at Paul through the lens of the Reformers. We're going to look at Paul through the lens of his own contemporaries, the Jewish cultural background of his day. Paul was a Jew. So let's reinterpret Paul in the context of his own Jewishness, of the people he spoke and wrote to. And so he's done just amazing works of reorienting us and taking us to a new level of understanding Paul and what Paul wrote about concerning the roots of our faith. So those are your teachers, if you will. They typically teach for a living. That's what moves them. They're good at that. They're the ones that develop curriculum for all ages in the body of Messiah. They're so important to us. Now, they can get out of balance too, just like any of the other fivefold uh, uh, ministries. What do you think it looks like when they get out of balance? Or they're not running and, and, and schmoozing with the other fourfold offices? Well, guess what? They tend to fall into dogmatism or dry intellectualism. They live in that ivory tower of their seminary, never rubbing elbows with the average Joe that's out there, right? Trying to live his life. And they get disconnected as a result. And uh, they begin to really kind of uh, no longer have the relevance that they once had. So sometimes uh, that can happen to them if they get out of balance. All right, so let's summarize these fivefold offices that Messiah has given to his body. So he's given us leaders, fivefold offices, to accomplish the building up of his ecclesia. So he, he says, I've come to build up my church. Now, the word church is highly controversial. You know, people try to deal with the etymology of that word, and they try to say, you know, that's a bad word. Well, you know, it's not, it's not the best word to describe what Jesus came to build up. But it works. It's what everyone uses. You could use other terms like assembly or congregation, if you will. The gr Greek word ekklesia in its etymology means called out ones. So when you think of the ones that have been called out, what's that in reference to? If you were to look at the Jewish background to the text, Jesus being a Jew, speaking to Jews at the time, not, not to Gentiles, what do you think that meant in their hearing? He says, I've come to build up the ekklesia. Yeah, what ecclesia? The ecclesia in the wilderness that was started by Moses, who was also apostolic, kind of startup guy, if you will, right? Yeah, that ecclesia was Israel, the congregation of the Lord that was being raised up but fell into apostasy. Messiah came to save her and raise her up. He's building up his ecclesia, his church, Israel. The Gentiles get grafted into her, become part of Israel who's being built up by the Jewish Messiah, right? So he's come to build up his following. He does that through the fivefold ministries. The apostle, note that Jesus was all five, and then that gets broken up in terms of gifting, and then that's like forever separated so that no one has all five. No, no one's Jesus. No one's Yeshua the Messiah. Only he is. No one will ever be Yeshua the Messiah. No one will ever be equal to Yeshua the Messiah, right? So he's given us the planters, the ones that start new communities. He 
calls them apostles. They start new congregations in places where there's no witness, right? Is there a need for that? You say, well, there's churches on every corner. We don't need apostles today. There's churches everywhere. Well, let me reframe that for us, right? So how many churches believe in the Torah? Hardly any. How many synagogues believe in Yeshua? Hardly any. Where, where, are the, where are the communities that believe in Yeshua as the Messiah and the Torah as a way of life? Not many. It's called the Messianic movement, right? We need many more communities that will exalt Yeshua and the Torah as a way of life. That's who the harvest is. That's what the Messianic movement's all about. We need to plant new Messianic congregations. So yes, we need apostles. And we're praying that God will give us apostles too so that we as a community can plant other communities. Man, I want to have a baby. <laughs> Next is the pastors. They are the nurturers called pastors. And congregations will need good, strong, reassuring pastoral workers who are loyal to them in their community, are there to serve and to make sure that that community is safe. And then also, evangelists, they're the recruiters, right? They love recruiting. They recruit people for the kingdom of Messiah. They help unbelievers come to faith in Messiah. They get them baptized. They introduce them to a local community and they say, bye-bye, and they're off to the next one. That's what they do. They, they go out and they, they bring in unbelievers, hand them off to the community to be raised up by pastors and, and others within that community to be discipled. And then, of course, you need the professors, the teachers, those who love to teach those that will produce curriculum so the churches can grow in all ages. They're all about education, education, education. It's all they can see. And then finally, the guardians, the prophets. They're there to safeguard the Torah as a way of life. They're, they're there to safeguard the Torah as the way to life and the way of life because the Torah is all about Yeshua. See, see everything in the Torah is pointing towards him. So as they teach Torah, they're pointing people to Yeshua. And as people encounter Yeshua, they then turn back around and embrace the Torah as a way of expressing their faith, expressing their righteousness. And, and prophets, they're all about that. They love that. They're the guardians. They're all about Jesus and the commandments of God. They keep the congregation in alignment with the gospel and the ancient paths of our God. They protect the community from false prophets, false teachers, false apostles. They sniff them out and move them on. And there's plenty of false ones, let me tell you. Plenty of counterfeits. The prophets are the watchmen and the watchwomen on the wall looking for any potential approaching danger. They are the diligent intercessors who lead prayer ministries, who lead prayer initiatives, who are there every week, week in and week out, praying for the community, the families, our businesses, our welfare, our prosperity, our health. 
They're constantly interceding on your behalf. That's what they do. That's what they do. You know, we, we, we officially restarted our training program for the Office of the Prophets back in 2020. It was a program that we had started all the way back in 2003, and we did that for many years. We took a break in 2016 through 2019, and then we decided in 2020 to reignite that training program and get the Council of the Prophets back in alignment or back activated in our community. We draw a lot of prophets in the Messianic movement because it's all about a return to Torah. It's, 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 it's about faith in Yeshua and a return to the commandments of God as a way of life. So we draw a lot of people like that. So uh, it was a program designed to equip and license those who were called to the office of the prophet. Now, it's an arduous path. It requires much in order to be recognized and appointed to serve in the council of the prophets as a prophet. In fact, you know, we kind of use the standard for uh, promotion. It's called the three C's. Character, competence, chemistry. So in terms of character, you've got to demonstrate years of, of uh, a Yeshua-centered Torah obser observance in your own life. You've got to have a lifestyle of embracing Torah and walking in it. From a Yeshua-based perspective, the way he has interpreted the Torah, it includes the Shabbat and festivals, the dietary laws. It includes service. I mean, that's what we do. If you want to follow Jesus, serve one another. It's all about serving. That's what he came to do. So years of faithful service to the community. Elisha served Elijah long before he ever moved into that office. Philip, remember Philip the evangelist, he's serving tables before he ever went out as an evangelist. So there's got to be years of faithful service to the community. You have to have a reputation of being a lover of God and a lover of his people. And you got you to gotta be competent, right? Eager and able to accomplish tasks given to you. You've got to have a track record. Eager and able to lead others. And then chemistry, the final C. You have to have years of demonstrating that you understand authority. Years of demonstrating that they're just one of many leaders in the body. Sometimes we kind of think highly of ourselves. You know, we kind of think we're the, you know, we're the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, look at us or look at me. Uh, we have to recognize we're just one of a team of leaders. We're just one of many who were called to these offices. And we have to learn to defer to one another. These people have to understand the issues of authority and hierarchy within a community. They have to demonstrate what it means to respect and submit to authority. Those are big tests. They gotta be team players, right? They have to understand how to exercise authority with grace and compassion, not like the Gentiles do. They are committed to the well-being and success of other leaders around them. They recognize, hey, I'm, I'm part of a team, so I pray for my team. I connect with the other team leaders. I want to make sure they're successful too. It's not my ministry, it's our ministry. We're just servants of the king. What can I do to help the rest of the team be successful? They have a team awareness, not an individual awareness. They see themselves as part of a united 
an essential team of equippers. And they're loyal. They're loyal to the Messiah. They're a lo- they are loyal to his people. They're loyal to the local community that Messiah has led and placed them in. So we've run this program since 2003, and many believers have participated in it over the years. And we have recognized and licensed a handful of prophets over the years. Today we're proud and excited to announce that we have another person who has been part of this program for many years and has completed the classes and the practicums. She has been vetted and approved by our board of directors. And we intend to license her in July. I think, I think it's July 17th. I, the, I, I think we've picked the date. But it's within a, another couple of weeks in July that we're going to do that. And so what I'd like to do is announce that ahead of time as we move forward to that day in which we will bring her forward, lay hands on her, and, and appoint her into her place in the harvest. So I'd like to ask Miss Donna Ware to please stand at this time. And uh, we, are, we are excited. Donna, you've worked so hard for so long. You've been so loyal. Uh, congratulations to you, your hard work, your faithful service, how loyal you are to your community. Donna and I have watched you for years and your love for this community and how you weep for them, pray for them and, and care for them and how you've served faithfully in the good times and in the bad times, right? And you've understood authority. You've been submitted to authority been a team player all along and now we're ready to recognize that so in a couple of weeks we're going to do that and bring you into that office and uh, we just say to you today congratulations we're excited we're getting ready so mazel tov now not everyone is called to one or more of these offices as a vocation Not everyone's called to that level of leadership. Some are, you know, most are not. We're we're the body. Those are the equippers. Everyone, though, everyone is called to do the work of the kingdom. These fivefold offices, they're designed to equip the believer to do the work of Messiah in our world for salvation and deliverance, healing, meaning, and purpose. They're not the frontline leaders. You are. They equip, we go out and do the work. They're the equippers. We're the equippees, if you will, right? We do the work. Jesus said, these works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do. I am in you, and through you, I am advancing my kingdom. So he's using all of us as his representatives. It's just that we need training. We need to learn how to do the stuff. That's what the fivefold offices do. They equip us to do the stuff. God has called you, slide 81, thank you. God has called you to carry on his work of redemption. You are the chosen people. You're God's holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. And for what purpose did he choose you? to share the goodness of Jesus and his glorious kingdom. Now I want to give you some passages to encourage you and stir up your heart. We've got to develop this mindset. 
This is the year of the evangelist. I sensed this morning the, the Lord was saying, this is the year of the evangelist. Now, we're starting kind of late, but it's okay. Better late than never, right? Okay, but we're going to focus on this. We need to change our culture, how we think as a community. We've been faithful to Jesus and the Torah for, from, from our beginning. We've never really been good at outreach. We've never really been good at evangelism. This is the year that we begin to focus on that, to raise up people who are, who are really called to do that work and help them help us to get that done. So let me give you some passages to reorient ourselves, how we view ourselves. How you view yourself determines how you live your life. How, how do you think of yourself? See, if you view yourself as a victim, you'll never be an overcomer. You might be a victim. You might be victimized, but you can't view yourself as that. You got to say, no, even though I'm a victim, I'm an overcomer. I'm going to overcome this. And because you view yourself as an overcomer and you've put your trust in the one who has overcome the world, you will overcome. But if you think of yourself as a victim, you will never rise above that. So how you view yourself is so important because it's going to actually determine how you live your life. Think of this. First Peter chapter 2, 1 through 10. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You got to long for, 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 you know, infants. They, they just want to be fed. All they want is some milk. All they want to do is eat, right? And that's, that, that's what they do. And, and, and when they're hungry, they cry. You got to feed them. Then they cry. Then you got to feed them. But what happens when you feed them? They grow. They grow. It's an amazing thing, right? Just think of what they would look like if they, if they didn't feed. They would atrophy. They would just be, they would just be you know, it would, it would not look pretty. See, as believers, we got to hunger for the word of God. We've got to get hungry for the word. We've got to be in the word every day. How often does your infant eat? That's how often you and I should be eating every day. We should be in the word over and over and over, crying when we don't have time to spend in the word. We need to be in the word if we want to grow. If we want to grow. Got to be in the word. It's all about the word. Jesus said, I am the word. I am the way. In me is all knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Hungering for the word is a hunger for Jesus. So, it goes on to say, verse 4 through 5, And coming to him, Yeshua, or to God, I'm sorry, and coming to him, the Father, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. You are living stones. In Messiah, you become this living animated stone that's part of this huge, enormous building, the very house of God, the temple of God, the true temple of God, right? You're one of the stones that make up this, this temple of God, if you will. Well, the temple, you know, synonyms for the temple could be synonyms like the church or the synagogue. 
uh, the assembly where, where, where God's people meet. See, you're a living stone. The church is a living organism. It's you and me. We're living stones, right? Wherever you are, there's the church. People don't come to church. I mean, they do, but they don't. They do and they don't. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but let me sort that out. You're the church. So when you go out in the world six days a week, you're interfacing with people. They're interfacing with the church because you're the church. Now, the church comes together on a regular basis at the appointed times, right? Because the head of the church says, I want you to come together corporately to get encouraged and instructed for the next week. So when those living stones come together at the corporate times, Shabbat and the festivals, then you have what we call the local manifestation of the church, right? Local manifestation of the church. All individual stones are called and commanded to come together at the appointed time. They're called to come together into those communities that are led by elders, established by elders, elders that are accountable. That's where they're commanded to come. We had this one person years ago, evangelist, just would just love to share like no one, no one's business. The person was conducting a lot of these evangelism events on Shabbat during our service. So this person was out a lot of times because they were doing these other things, you know. And so we said, hey, look, uh, you can do evangelism six days a week. You can do outreach six days a week. Shabbat's not a day for evangelism. It's a day for inreach. It's a day to minister to the saved. It's a day for the saved to come together, be encouraged so they can go out and be a witness to the unsaved. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm winning souls. I'm winning souls. That's in harmony with the Sabbath. We said, no, it isn't. So they left. We said goodbye. See, Jesus was in the synagogue every week, week in and week out. He did inreach one day a week and outreach six days a week. And so this is the plan of the Father. This is the structure of the church. And there's a time in which all the living stones are supposed to come together. Because if they don't come together, there'll be disunity, we'll lose our momentum, and there'll be no witness in the world today. So coming together is essential. It's commanded by the Lord at the appointed times. That's how we know who's who. We can join together. We can learn from one another. Be encouraged to carry on the work of God. Living stones, spiritual house for a holy priesthood. You and I are priests. What's a priest do? A priest stands between God and the people who don't know him. And what that person does is they help the people that don't know God have an encounter with God. And they bring God into relationship with the people. That's what a priest does. Offer sacrifices to God, intercedes for the people, and then helps the people encounter God. That's what we get to do. That's what we're called to do. It's a royal priesthood. Great privilege and honor to be a priest of the Most High God. So I was watching The Chosen. I just love The Chosen. Love it. Encourage you to watch it if you haven't watched it. Yeah, I was thinking, it's probably, it'd probably be a good Bible study group. You know? 
once a week in your home, two hours, bring some snacks. We watch 45 minutes of The Chosen, and then we do a breakout and talk about it and how we can apply it to our lives. Just an idea, in case anyone wants to run with that, because I might. Who knows? Okay, so watching The Chosen, and I just thought, you know, they do such a great job in giving us a picture of the Jewish Jesus, the authentic Jesus. Not, not a Jesus that's been de-Judaized, ripped out of his context, and then, and then superimposed over him all this pagan stuff. Now, they do a good job with presenting Jesus in his historical context. So in this one episode, you know, Jesus, he has his disciples go and do something to really fix up a field that's really just in disarray and and the guy that owns the field, he has a broken leg, and he's all messed up, so he can't attend to it. And his whole family's suffering. They're basically going to have some really big problems. So he has his disciples go and sow this field and get it all cleaned up and ready for the next season. And then he goes with his disciples to visit the guy. And, and so, you know, he basically says, yeah, we're the ones that did this for your field. And he goes, why would you do that for me? You don't even know me. You know what? I, I don't understand why you guys are, are doing this. And then Jesus basically begins to relate to this guy and talk with him. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, the guy finally opens up. And um, because of the kindness, you know, in fact, Jesus at some point tells him, you know, a good shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the sheep that has been alienated. And, and he basically communicates to the guy, we came here because you're important. Even though you're just one, you're important. In fact, we'll leave all the rest because you're important. So this guy finally opens up, you know, under this love of what they've done and tells Jesus why his leg is broken. He explains to Jesus, I've been depressed and tormented because me and some other guys, we actually assaulted a person and robbed him on the road. And uh, we took his horse and his stuff, and, and I was supposed to take the horse to a particular location to, to sell the horse, and he says, and when I was on the horse, the horse got spooked, and it threw me, and I broke my leg. But we think that we killed the guy. And so this guy's been tormented with the guilt of, you know what, we just wanted to get some stuff, and, and I think now I've murdered someone, I can't even reconcile that. I've been depressed, tormented, I'm losing everything, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so he basically confesses all that to Jesus, and Jesus just tells him, you know, you're loved by God, and God forgives you. And his whole thing is, is how could God forgive me for what I did? He says, well, I want you to know the man lived. And he says, what do you mean the man lived? He goes, he lived. He goes, how do you know he lived? He says, believe me, I know. If you knew who I was, you wouldn't question me. He's alive and he's well. So now this man just begins to weep uncontrollably. He's weeping, overwhelmed with all that's being given to him. And then Jesus says something so subtle, but yet so powerful. He says to him, believe my words, return to synagogue. I thought to myself, what? What did Jesus, what did he say? Return to synagogue. Why would he say that? What's important about that? You don't have to go to church to be saved. That sounds religious. You know, organized? Who wants to organize religion? I'm free from all that stuff. Jesus said that? Return to synagogue? You know, now did Jesus actually say that? Well, who knows what he said, right? 
What did he do, though? He went to synagogue every week, week in and week out. He never missed synagogue. He was always in the synagogue. It says it was his habit. That's what he did. That's, what, that, that's who he was. He's always in the synagogue reading, reading the Torah on the Sabbath, right? That's his value. What do you share? You share the things that are important to you. And what are those things that are important to you? Well, the things that you do, right? I, can, I know what's important to you. I just look at your life and what you do. And I can tell by looking at your life and what you do what's important to you. Yeah? Hey, well, I don't, want, I don't want to just call anyone out, but let me just say this. The corporate assembly is a command of God and Jesus loved it. Jesus did it. It makes sense that Jesus would say that. So they take some liberty in this, in this account and they say, yeah, Jesus says to him, believe my words, return to synagogue, search Torah. Let it affect your heart. Then see, then see what happens. The guy's just kind of confused and he says, then what? I mean, think about this. Believe my words, return to synagogue, search Torah, let it affect your heart, then see what happens. Then he says, and then what? I'm thinking, what kind of question is that? But the answer that Jesus gives is just insightful. Jesus says, tell others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Receive the grace of God. Be forgiven. Embrace me. Believe my words. Return to synagogue. Search the Torah. Let it transform you. Transform you. And then go tell people. Then go tell people. We've been doing all these things except the last. We haven't been good at going out and telling people. We're going to get good Amen. at going out Amen. and telling people. That's going to be the next step. I just love that. Okay. Let's see what time I got left. Okay, let me go on. So in... 1 Peter chapter 2, picking up 5 and 6, it says that we're a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that we do as a priesthood is we offer up sacrifices to God. And what are those sacrifices? Prayers, praise, dancing, singing. Those are sacrifices. We have to learn how to do that, how to package that, how to offer that up by the Spirit of God. That's what we're called to do. Yeah, that's the job of a priest. Are you a good priest? Are you a good priest? Do you work on those things? Because that's what we're called to do. You know, I love our intercession time. Every week we go down there. It's always kind of hard at first, you know, because it's like plowing a field, right? But I'll tell you what, we get into intercession. And we begin to sing and praise and worship and get our focus on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as these praises start going up, the presence of God comes in that room. And next thing I know, it's like, oh, I love this. And it's over. It's like, oh, man, it's already over. Man, I just so enjoy that. That's what we're made to do. And when we do it, we find meaning and purpose and renewal in our life. It goes on to say, for this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. And then ongoing, but for those who disbelieve, 
the stone which, his, which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. Verse 9, but you, you're a chosen race. You are a chosen race. I want you to say after me, I am a chosen race. That makes me chosen. I'm chosen. That is so amazing. The Jew first, the Jew first, and then also the Gentile. Paul says this is one new humanity. There's only one race. There's only one race, the human race. It comes in all types of colors and cultures, but it's only one race. Everyone equally human. But it's a lost race, a condemned race, an alienated race. Jesus came to redeem humanity. And those of humanity that are responding to who Yeshua is and getting born again, they become a new race of people. They're a new humanity, a living humanity, a dead humanity walking in the realm of death and a new living humanity. Jews first and then also Gentiles. One new man. Actually, it's one new humanity is what the Greek is actually trying to convey. A new humanity through the work of Messiah. You're a chosen race. Slide 93. You're a royal priesthood in Messiah. You are a royal priesthood. The Levitical priesthood is over. It was part of the old covenant. The new covenant has birthed what the Levitical priesthood represented the priesthood of God, and every believer is a priest. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in Messiah is part of that royal priesthood. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. View yourself as that. Get in front of the mirror, do some self-talk. Say, hey, you in the mirror, you're a royal priesthood. You can't do those things anymore. Why? You're a royal priesthood. Yeah. Get into who you are. These are identity issues. You're a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We are to proclaim His excellencies. To sing His praises. To tell a lost and miserable world a frightened world, who he is. That's why we're alive, to share and proclaim and declare who he is. That's our job. That's who we are. So we look for those opportunities every day. Jesus is out about saving people, delivering people. He, he's giving hope to the nations. He's invited us. In fact, he's commissioned us to do that work with him. That's what we're supposed to do. We're called to do that. Think about that for a moment. Every day. If Jesus is saving people in the world today and saving people around us, what are we doing? Shouldn't we be looking for his activity and joining him in it? 
Do you realize he's saving people and delivering people and giving hope to people all around us and we're unaware of it? We're unaware of it. We actually can join him. What an adventure. I remember when I first got this idea, I'm working at King Supers. My daily task was to ask people the same question over and over and over. Paper or plastic? Come on, give it to me, hit me. Paper or plastic? You know, I mean, my, my discussions every day were so just, ah, I was dying, dying. And I woke up one day and said, wait, I'm a priest. I'm supposed to help people encounter God. So I'm going to change the way I view myself. I work at King Supers, but I'm going to look for opportunities to share the love of God. All of a sudden, my discussions changed with all these people. That became a place of ministry. When you came through my line that day, it was like ministry time. I prayed for people. We laughed together, cried together. We had, we had great times. I got in trouble. They told me, I, I, they told me you can't talk about Jesus all the time. You can't, I, we don't pay you to do that. I said, no, look at my line. I got people that will get in my line when there's an open lane they could go through because they're just waiting to come through my line. And if the other employees can talk about who they slept with the night before, I can talk about Jesus. They said, no, you can't. They forbid me. They said, you can't talk. And they said, in fact, we don't want you to say, we don't want you to say anything. You're done, Mr. McClellan. You don't get to talk anymore. Now get back to work. I was such a rebel. So I went and made a bunch of cards that said, um, I'm sorry, I can't talk. I've been forbidden by my employer. And I put those in the men's bathroom, in the deli, in the dairy, in the meat department, all around. People try to say, hey, Mark, what's going on? I just wave at him. I give him a card. I can't talk. My employer forbids me. I give it to the customers, you know? Yeah. So it was about four or five hours into my shift. They said, McClellan, shut down your light, close out, get upstairs. So I did that, went upstairs. And guess who's upstairs? The district manager. The manager over several of the stores. 10,000 plus employees. They got district managers. They got this district manager that, that, that's down there. And I said, uh, so I, I go in there and, and the manager's there, the district manager. They got a guy from the legal department. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. So I said, you know, what's going on? They said, sit down. So I sit down. They said, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to explain to you uh, what, you, or I want you to explain to me what's going on. I said, well, what do you mean? They, he said, don't play games with me. I am not in the mood. I'm very upset. I'm down at the main office. I have the vice president of the company come up to me and say, you got a problem. His name is Mark McClellan at this particular store, and you need to get on this right away. He says, so I picked up the phone to call the store manager. The vice president took the phone out of my hand, slammed it, and said, get out there, go address it in person now. You know why? My customers who loved me because I shared Jesus with them called the main office and said, why have you forbidden him to talk? If you don't straighten this out, we're not shopping there anymore. Oh, I had no idea it would be that big. I really didn't know it was going to be that big. So long story short, they apologized. I agreed to be a good employee, continue to do a good job, and I could share Jesus if it was initiated by the customers. Win-win for everyone. So anyway, divine appointments every day. God is doing stuff. So let him engage you on a day-by-day basis, okay? So I'm always looking for opportunities. Now I got my antennas up, right? Jesus at the well. 
Go get me some food. They all leave to go get some food. He's hanging out at the well. There's probably some shade there. There's water. I'll just wait there. It's in the Middle Eastern, or it's the Middle East desert, right? Want to hang around a well in the Middle East. It gets pretty hot. So that woman comes up, right? So he says, give me some water. So she's getting water. She says, what are you doing? I, you know, Jews don't, you know, interaction between Jews and Samaritans, you know, that just doesn't happen, you know. He changes the whole discussion, though, and he says, look, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. And if you drank from me, you'd never thirst again. Jesus turns the discussion into something about her life. That's amazing. That's what we're going to learn to do, right? So here I am. I'm praying for divine appointments every day. I do. I look for divine appointments every day. So yesterday, I'm standing out there on my porch in the front yard, you know, just minding my own business. Don was doing something, and I'm eating my little salad out there. And uh, this guy comes walking up to my house. He looks up my house and starts to walk up my, my steps. And, uh, and he didn't see me yet. And as he's walking up the steps, I said, can I help you? And he, he like, looked up and he goes, yeah. He says, uh, uh, I'm looking for Debbie. I said, Debbie doesn't live here. And he goes, really? So he goes, let me get my phone. So he looks at me and goes, 11381. You know, I said, oh, that's, I think that's next door. So I walked over with them to the next door. And so he goes, oh, okay, she's here. So he goes in there. His daughter, a realtor, she's selling my neighbor's house. I, I, I don't know her, you know. And what happens? What happens? I go back to my house. I'm standing there. All of a sudden, he comes walking over. She comes walking over. They're standing in front of my house in the sun because they have a photographer that's in there taking pictures of, of the inside of the house so they can put it up on a virtual kind of video deal like they do with homes, right? So the photographer asked them to step out of the house so that she could take all the pictures in the house. So they're standing there in the hot sun in front of my house. That's a freebie. That is, that is God. I recognize right away, this is good. Got a good start here. So I go, I walk out there and I said, so what's going on? Well, they're over there, you know, they explain everything to me. I said, really? I said, so you sell houses? Oh, yeah. You know, you know, asking people, ask people questions about themselves. They love to talk about themselves. People like to talk about who they are, right? So I just started asking some questions, see where this is going to go. So we ended up talking for a while and I could tell they were hot because they moved under the tree. I said, come on up, sit, sit in my porch because I got, it's all shaded, you know? got some nice lounge chairs come on up so they say oh great so they come up they sit and we talk in the shade underneath my porch and towards the end they finally asked me a question and once they asked me a question I thought man this is good so they said well how'd you get your house because they were talking about the market and and how hard it is right now and the median price is out of range the only one that can afford Colorado homes are basically from California and and New York and the market is just horrible and and if you don't walk in with 20 percent above listing price you just don't even get in the discussion and that's a horrible market in Denver right she goes so so how long have you been in this house I said well a couple of years they said, really, was it hard? I said, no, not really. I said, amazing thing was is we came in and it was so undervalued because the guy's just trying to get out because his dad was sick. He was an only son. He just wanted to sell his house. So we walked into this place. We bought it for under its, its, its value. Our lender said, don't even worry about the appraisal. It's so undervalued, you don't even need an appraisal. The real estate lady says, no way. I said, yeah. We, they said, no. She goes, no appraisal. She goes, that's unheard of. I said, no, that's how undervalued it was. She goes, well, you must be living right. <laughs> you must be living right. I said, here we go. This is great. So I just kind of looked at her, you know, and... Uh, and then she says, touch me. 
I said, what? She goes, touch me. I said, what? She goes, touch me. She, want, she wanted like some type of impartation. She wanted some juju or some magic, what Randy was talking about with Balaam, you know. And uh, so her dad was laughing, and she goes, really, really? And she kind of like walked over to me. So I said, okay. So I grabbed her arm, and I looked at her, and I said, Jesus! You know, she kind of looked at me. And then it got really awkward really quick. She goes, all right, all right, great, you know. And I said, uh, yeah. I said, God has blessed us. And uh, I know he's already blessed you, and he wants to bless you even more. I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you to sell this house quickly. Praying for you to get a quick sale. She goes, oh, would you? I said, yeah. She goes, oh, I so appreciate that. You know, this market's just crazy and da-da-da-da-da. I said, yeah, going to do that for you. Now, my plan is, is this. I got her card. We got this connection. And um, I saw her today. Didn't quite connect. It was almost. I was praying for that. But I'm praying over. But I think what's going to happen is this. They're going to have a quick sale because I'm praying for that. I already spoke that. And when I do, I'm going to go knocking on her door. And I'm going to say, you know what? I prayed, and that's what Jesus did for you. And now I want to talk to you about Jesus because that's what this is all about. So that, that is my next step, next, next phase in that. So um, I want to encourage you with this last verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy because God saved you through his Son. We owe it to him to share that love. Now hold on to it. We freely received his grace. Let's freely give that grace. I want to encourage you to look to your acquaintances, to those people in your life, in your path, every day at work, at school, at play, your relatives, whoever they are. Look, get your antennas up. See what needs you can help meet in their lives. Look for the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them. We're going to work and get some things out for you next week that will help all of us do a better job in sharing our faith with those around us. Why? Because that's who we are. We are the people of God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood to proclaim the glory of Jesus and his plan to save people. Amen? Amen. All right. That's it. Shabbat shalom.